I just thought about doing a joke intro, like, welcome back to Is Luke Happy, like Luke Skywalker, because we were so heavy about, <laughs> but then your name is Luke, so it would be like, not the same. So sad. <laughs> <laughs> is Leia happy? <laughs> is Anakin happy? No. <laughs> He's not a, he's worse than Fitz. On scale of angst. <laughs> I feel like he's the golden standard and Fitz is below that. Only slightly. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter five, Gambit. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. yes. Yes, we are. I don't have anything funny to say about Gambit, so. Except the Queen's Gambit, which is a chess move, because I'm now literate in chess moves, thanks to Netflix. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the intro of this is about ancient code of conduct and mm -hmm. you know being honorable to other people and guest rights and things like that and it's just a little a little short blurb like you know warrior's word is still his bond and among those who serve side by side there's nothing so foul as one who lies to his comrades or leads them into dishonor little, little hint reminder. towards yeah. the for the end of the chapter yeah exactly but i i like the sentiment that um it says here, but I would venture that we have not wandered so far from those customs, so much as put a veneer over them. And I just like that sentiment of mm -hmm. maybe we think we're different from the past people, but really we've just made the rules a little prettier sounding. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> just kind of how the world works. So winter is deepening around Buck and Fitz, Fitz's depression is deepening. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much at the same time, he's he's pretty forlorn, and um, you know he's calling on Ketrickin like Jade said, but they're both you know lonely and not doing anything and don't want to do anything mm -hmm. about that. Yep, they're sulky. Yep, and they're just kind of getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> yeah, Fitz doesn't want to spend too much time with Night Eyes because he doesn't want to bond him, and he doesn't have anything else to do, so he kind of leans towards spying on molly because mm -hmm. that's exactly what will get him out of the funk obviously right yeah but he like you know he's dreaming about her and he's like following like knows where she lives now mm -hmm. and you know talking to some of the uh some of the other maids to like get news of her maybe by happenstance right. and <laughs> i think it's so weird that he doesn't find anything weird about this behavior. I mean, he knows that he shouldn't be doing it, but I think he knows he shouldn't be doing it because he would get in trouble with patients, not because it would probably be weird for Molly. Right. And also, how does it look if you are ignoring and not meeting up with Molly, but you know who her friends are and you're specifically seeking them out and talking to them? Like, you don't think Molly's going to catch on that you know... And that might just look bad, like worse, like, oh, I came here and lied to you about who I was and I'm never going to marry you. And now I'm going to flirt with your coworkers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously he's not, but that's how Molly could be taking it. Right. Yeah. And it says that, you know, he yearned after her hopelessly. 
Sleep eluded me, and food held no interest for me. Nothing held any interest for me. It, it really shows, like, he's he's fallen down pretty hard here. Yeah. Um, well, the only hope he had coming back was, like, maybe I'll get Molly. <laughs> true. Yeah, otherwise he was going to ditch Bucky. Yep. Um, But Birik finds him kind of just <laughs> sitting in the guards' room and shoves his feet off of a bench and sits down and says, hey... What's what's the problem with you, man? <laughs> <laughs> and then quieter. Have you had another seizure? I love the dad move of I'm gonna be tough and gruff and uh, what's wrong with you? But actually, is there something wrong with you? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's really concerned, but also not a hundred percent sure if it's something he should be concerned about. Right. It is Fitz we're talking about. <laughs> and Fitz is like, no, the, you know, not another seizure, but it's it's Molly, and Beard doesn't know anything about it, so he's like, oh. You haven't been able to find where she's gone then, because he still <laughs> yeah. thinks that she was missing at Silt Bay or whatever. Because right. Fitz doesn't talk about anything that's going on, and he just sinks into depression and, mm-hmm. you know, deals with it in a very... Uh, unhealthy way? Unhealthy way, yes. <laughs> and Fitz's response to that is, no, she's here at Buckheap, working as a maid for Patience. But Patience won't let me see her. She says, Birk's eyes had widened at my first words. Now he glanced around us, then tossed his head at the door. His first, Virik's first chance of when he hears, like, no, Molly's here. Mm-hmm. I just, like, am forbidden from seeing her, from patients and stuff. Um, is like, oh, it's it's actual girl problems and yeah. not, like, <laughs> your friend is missing. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. we need to go somewhere privately and just drink. Yeah. Well, <laughs> shouldn't that have been his response if she was still missing, though? I mean... Yeah, yeah true. Not shouldn't, but, like, wouldn't that have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I guess if it was, like, missing someone, it's easier to commiserate with other people around, whereas if it's mm-hmm. personal love life details, you don't want everybody in the keep gossiping about it right yeah so so he brings him back to the stables and they have some brandy and fix some leather <laughs> he had his perpetual pile of harnesses to be mended mm-hmm. which i laughed a little bit at that line because it is kind of true that he's always mending some harness like what are the nobles doing <laughs> this molly i've seen her then in the washer courts with lacy carries her head proud red glint to her coat Her hair, I corrected him grudgingly. Nice wide hips, she'll bear easily, he said with approval. I glared at him. Thank you, I said icily. (laughs) He shocked me by grinning. Get angry. I'd rather you were that than self-pitying. So, tell me. And I told him. So do you think he's purposefully being kind of rude about Molly to get him mad? Yeah, I do. I would like to think so, too. I don't like the idea that this is how Bjork talks about women. (laughs) I, I don't think it is, but I'm sure that in the guards' room where he was around all the time... Mm-hmm. That's how... Yeah. yeah. But also, there are women in the guards, and they probably give the same crap back. So right, right. It but just I, bringing that shift of tone yeah, to this conversation fair. probably just is enough to startle Fitz. <laughs> True. Get him out of his mopey. Yeah. Um, but also it's like weird to hear him talk about Molly this way because we know in the end they end up married Mm -hmm. and having kids. (laughs) So I guess he's right about the hips. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he's not thinking about that now. No, no, (laughs) but you know, something that we know. (laughs) Uh, and Fitz tells the, the whole thing and says, so what should I do? And 
Birik brought him back to drink and for Fitz to tell the story because he knew that he needed someone to listen to. And Birik is kind of rubbing that in right now, like, oh, you think I should give you advice? You ask me, of course, because you have noted of my rare success at providing myself with a fond wife and many children. The bitterness in his voice shocked me, but before I could react to it, he gave a choked laugh. Forget I said that. Ultimately, the decision was mine and done a long time ago. I have a couple things to say about this. Number one, Birik is not that old. He is not too old to have a no. wife and kids. Yeah. He's probably 40s. You think he's in his 40s? I guess Fitz is 15. But he wasn't... He was like... He was like 26 or something, I thought we decided when he... When he got, got Fitz. Fitz. Oh, so he'd be like yeah, upper like, 30s then. 36, 37. Which is pretty young. Yeah. And still marriageable. I guess like in modern times. It's probably very like much 15 years off of when he was probably looking. <laughs> True. But it's just like... <laughs> It's, like, funny to me that he's, like, it's long past, and it's fine, I'll just die a spinster. Like, it's Mm -hmm. funny to see that in a male character, and not just a woman who is, like, not that old, saying, I'm gonna die alone. Um, But also, I think it's important that he does take this moment to be a guardian to Fitz, and it shows that Fitz really trusts Burek, and that he... enjoys being here because it feels like home to him and this is the safest place he's ever known and i just think that's really cute that they get to have this touching finally there's no misunderstanding between them holding back this bond and they can just be themselves and Mm -hmm. accept the love that the other person is giving the fatherly love that is going between them which is good um one thing i do want to say about this is you know his decision long ago um, was probably about patience. Hmm. Um, it comes up a little bit, and you know, a little bit later in this section that we're going to be talking about, but um, kind of going back on a conversation we had in the previous episodes of Birik being talked about by the women, but never really having women around or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I. Uh, I kind of want to come back to this. Just remember that that thing. I think this is about patience, and I'll, okay. I'll talk about it in a little bit. Okay, I know where you're going to bring it up, okay. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Birk gives some advice here, like you were saying. You know, Fitz is like, what should I do? And Birk's like, what do you think you should do? You know, where did it go wrong in the first place? You said that you were courting her like a boy, so be a man. Mm-hmm. Take care of yourself. Yes. You're looking... Like garbage. <laughs> Take a You're shower. A little trash boy. Try some deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> Shave, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> he says, look at yourself. Your hair looks like a pony's winter coat. I'll wager you've worn that shirt a week straight, and you're thin as a winter foal. I doubt you'll regain her respect that way. Feed yourself up, groom yourself daily, and eat his name. Get some exercise instead of moping about the guard room. Set yourself some, some tasks and get onto them. Right before this, he says something that is probably incredibly true, especially if he was talking to, you know, Molly's friends and Uh stuff. Um, It says, you cannot see her. If I know anything of women, it does not mean she does not see you. (laughs) Keep that in mind. Yep. (laughs) Or has those same friends that he's talking to hoping for, you know, some talk of Molly bringing... Back, yeah. oh, we talked to the Fitz today. And... Mm-hmm. Exactly what I'm saying. See, he mm-hmm. needs to think this through instead of, 
oh, this little nugget of potential news about Molly, who I'm not talking to, is so much better than the idea that maybe this could be misconstru- misconstrued, yeah. which is the problem in the first place, Fitz. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Fitz is like, oh, it's not going to do me, you know, good in the long run if patients will still not permit me to see Molly. And Beric's like, he's, he doesn't quite understand what Fitz is getting at here. Right. Because he's like, in the long run, it's not about you and patients, it's about you and Molly. Like, eventually, like, you guys can get together, it's not just yeah. patients keeping you apart. Well, I think at this point, Beric thinks it's like a, um, a thing about, you know, where Fitz is politically. Like, right. patients just doesn't want him to marry a servant. Not anything besides that in his head, probably. Yeah. And Fitz then chimes in with, you know, the thing that really gets him and says it's also up to King Shrewd. Mm-hmm. According to Patience, a man cannot be sworn to a king and give his heart fully to a woman as well. You cannot put two saddles on one horse, she told me. This from a woman who married a king in waiting and was content with whatever time he had for her. I reached to hand Beric the mended halter. He did not take it. He had been in the act of lifting his brandy cup. He set it down on the table so sharply that the liquid leaped and sloshed over the edge. She said that to you? He asked me hoarsely. His eyes bored into me. I nodded slowly. She said it would not be honorable to expect Molly to be content with whatever time the king left to me as my own. Beerk leaned back in his chair, a chain of conflicting emotions dragged across his features. He looked aside into the hearth's fire and then back at me. For a moment, he seemed on the verge of speaking. Then he sat up, drank off his brandy in one gulp, and abruptly stood. It's too quiet up here. Let's go down to Buckkeep Town, shall we? And this is why I wanted to say it was probably about patience. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, in the last chapter, when we were discussing this, um, maybe two episodes ago, Mm -hmm. when patience was speaking to Fitz and said that quote, we assumed that it was about chivalry. Yeah. When I was reading through into this, um, I realized we were wrong about that. And we also got a message. Um, thank you, listener, <laughs> <laughs> reminding us that this was about Birk as well. Mm-hmm. So um, this is something that Birk decided long ago that a man can't have two saddles and has made the decision mm, yeah. and told patients like we can't be together because my time has to be dedicated to chivalry i can't like i i've tried but i need to be there for chivalry and my king oh interesting and now we can't be courting or whatever and that's why patience is remembering that later on she mentioned something like oh you always remember your first love and mm-hmm. i think that's when they were crying over Beric. molly and patience were crying over Beric after he had passed away mm. um and i think there's there's still that little hint of like you know, he was my first love. He yeah. said no because you can't have two saddles on a on a man and she passed on that knowledge to Fitz. And hearing it come from Fitz from patience really gets Birk in the mood to go drinking. Right. Well also it would kinda sting because you he's basically Fitz's dad at this point and he's like trying he sees that his son loves somebody and like as long as she's a decent person he doesn't care 
And then all of a sudden he's like, I can't ever be with her because of your rule. And he's like, oh, no, like I that shouldn't be a stop. That shouldn't stop you from your true love. And it's his same, like, not necessarily mistake, but decision mm-hmm. tormenting the person he raised. Yeah. No, it's it's sad, kind of, but also like his own fault. But then I wonder, does that mean that chivalry was better because he's not technically sworn to the king because he is the king? So that's why she could put up with chivalry. Yeah. And I think chivalry, since he was so delighted and did make that decision of like, I'm actually just going to marry patience. I don't care what you say, dad. <laughs> true, um, true. It really showed like that dedication and stuff like that. I don't know. So I'm sure he made time for her. Hmm. The next day, he's hungover. Yep. Uh, um <laughs> But he was able to ignore his pounding head. Well, he's like 15, so yeah, I'm sure he can. I'm sure it's a real bad hangover. (laughs) I'm jealous. Um, He drinks a lot of brandy in this chapter, honestly. I mean, hey, you like what you like, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Good old Sans Edge brandy, I'm sure. And he sets himself to, you know, become a better person. He starts exercising, he sets tasks ahead of him, he bathes, you know, (laughs) all sorts of good stuff. I like that that is your last one, because that is true, but also so funny that he really hasn't been bathing, which really does feel teenage boy. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I remember high school, freshman boys stink. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad that he got some sense knocked into him. Uh, and he's also regaining, um, he's also regaining, oh my gosh, <laughs> Emma's sitting here mouthing sense and pointing to her nose, like sense she's knocked real, into him? real yeah. clever. I'm very clever, thank you for noticing. <laughs> nose ting. That was so bad. Moving on. He's also trying to regain stamina because after his sickness, he never tried to you know, get back to where he was previously. Right. He kind of just gave up. Yeah, definitely <laughs> just gave up. Um, Patience is, you know, telling him that his color's better. Lacey's delighted and feeding me at every opportunity. And he begins to feel himself again. Ate with the guards, um, went to the stables to work there. And he was taking true delight in that because before the Mountain Kingdom, he was denied Mm-hmm. being in the stables at all and even though it kind of hurts seeing hans and Birik work together of running the stables it still gives him a little bit of pleasure just to see like it's in good hands kind right. of thing i also want to talk about this uh, moment specifically of um hans and Birik working so well and it being a little bit of a jealous issue with fitz he says you know he's talking about how it is it hurts a little to see them not include him in conversations when it's busy, but he understands. Um, I had moved on to another life. I could not accept the old one to be held ajar for me forever. And he gets this with understanding and can tolerate the idea that like, it's hard to see this because it's something I love doing, but it's just not an opportunity anymore. And I'm glad that people I love are doing it well. Yeah. But yet he can't take this same knowledge and put that towards the Molly situation. 
Of course not. <laughs> it's completely different. It is. It's completely different. <laughs> that wow. door will always be held ajar, no matter what. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. So I just found it really interesting that he has this clarity of the stables was my old life, and that's not a path I can take. But Molly, <laughs> who knows? He uh, continues to feed the wolf cub as well and says that, you know, my joy in being in the stables and Birk and mine's renewed friendship doesn't prevent me from feeding this wolf cub. Yeah. Even though he feels a uh, pang of guilt as he sleep, slips away each day to that cottage. Um, you know, he knows that he would lose Birk again if Birk found out. If Burek ever suspected that I had returned to using the wit, he would abandon me just as swiftly and completely as he had before. Each day I asked myself exactly why I was willing to gamble his friendship and respect for the sake of a wolf cub. My only answer was, I had no choice. I could no more have turned aside from cub than I could have walked away from a starved and caged child. Yeah. I mean... That's what Night Eyes was. <laughs> right. Well, it just is an interesting comparison of how Burek and Fitz see the wit. Right. right yeah. I mean, Burek has decided that this is such an evil and tainted magic that it must be turned away at all costs. It doesn't matter what that means. It, like you need to cut out this part of yourself to be an an honorable man. Mm-hmm. And Fitz doesn't see it the same way. And it's so sad because at, at, as awful as it is that Burek really would cut Fitz out if he knew, it's also sad that Burek is cutting out part of himself to fit in. Right. And I feel bad for him. And I understand because it is dangerous, people will kill people that have the wit, that it, it is a dangerous thing to show or indulge in but i also think he's being too extreme because of living in that climate and fitz has just been so sheltered living in that climate and his experiences as a young child with right. the wit. yeah and i think it is a little bit that fitz is sheltered he mm-hmm. i mean he has had traumatic things happen to him but as the way of the world works it's not the same type right and so he hasn't been he hasn't had to associate the wit with something dangerous i mean dangerous in the sense that he'll lose his father but not dangerous in the sense that somebody will kill you if they find out so right yeah i don't know i feel really bad for both of them reading this part Eric tries tried to prevent him and succeeded except for twice uh, the keen pain of losing my bond companions had convinced me Burek was right only a fool would indulge in something that inevitably led to such loss so I was a fool rather than a man who could turn aside from the plea of a beaten and starved cub. So he brings food, he brings blankets, and kind of makes this unused cottage serviceable as like a pen for night eyes. Yeah. Um, no matter when I arrived, I found cub waiting for me. I wonder why. <laughs> um, it was not just the watchfulness of an animal waiting food. He sensed when I began my daily hike to to the back cottage behind all the granaries and awaited me. He knew when I had ginger cakes in my pocket and too quickly became fond of them. (laughs) Which 
is funny and cute, but Fitz is also super fond of yep. ginger cakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't <laughs> but Fitz is, uh, with this gradual coming and going, making Night Eyes lose his wariness mm-hmm. and suspicion of Fitz, because gradually, you know, he keeps bringing me food, whatever. Um, and eventually there's some trust being built in between them and the playfulness of a cub comes out and he starts, you know, like trying to play with Fitz more Mm -hmm. and Fitz is trying to keep that separation, even though he's super lonely right? (laughs) and telling him, you know, you can't go outside. There's people who are going to see wolf tracks and come here and probably kill you. Don't do anything. Don't make noise. And, while all men Night are Eye, bad. yeah, he literally says, "All men are bad." <laughs> yeah, and while Night Eyes, you know, obeys him or listens, he doesn't concede him as a master. Right. So he still disobeys once in a while, and yeah, still goes outside, and it's only because he has pack seniority. Yeah, because he knows, quote, soon from Fitz that he'll be let out. Mm-hmm. So, Night Eyes asks him once in a while. Soon, Fitz will reply, and it slowly gets less and less. Yeah. And <laughs> Fitz is slowly forgetting to remind him. Yep. And it's and he says, you know, a, a year from now, he would be what one more wolf hollowing in the distance of the night. You know, two chapters ago, or last chapter or whatever, that was, what, a day to a week to a couple months to uh-huh. now a year? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not. I'm not gonna bond to this wolf. I'm not. It's fine. <laughs> Delusions. Right. But I also think that Night Eyes is such a mirror of what Fitz is going through. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, he starts out sickly, and then eventually regains some muscle and is going back to somewhat normal. He's still wary. Mm-hmm. Um, he also. It also says that Night Eyes bided his time until his decisions should be his own. And I think that's kind of what Fitz does, right? Fitz takes orders, or at the very least listens to them and repents when he has overstepped boundaries. But he doesn't really recognize that as true authority in the way that he's never questioning it. Yeah, in his mind, he's still is waiting for the day when he's his own man. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I think it really just shows how built for each other they really are. It's a great parallel. Yeah. And it also makes you think of Fitz as a caged wolf. (laughs) (laughs) True. He gets unleashed sometimes. Said, uh, as the weeks passed and the storms outside reminded him of the snugness of his bed and the good meat filled out on his bones, he asked less often. Night Eyes asked less often. Sometimes I forgot to remind him. Loneliness ate at me from inside and out. At night, I would wonder what would happen if I crept upstairs and knocked at Molly's door. By day, I held myself back from bonding to the small cub who depended so completely on me. There was only one other creature in the keep who was as lonely as I was which is false. The fool is also as lonely as you are, Fitz. That's fair. But Fitz doesn't know that. He remarked on it when he went to his room, though. Oh, that's like, true. There's only someone as lonely as I 
I am could That's make fair. a room like this. I'm sure he's stopped thinking about that, though. Yeah. He conveniently forgets things. <laughs> True. And then it moves on to Ketrigan, speaking of the other lonely person in the castle. Mm-hmm. The other outsider. The other outsider, yeah. Uh, we know from the beginning of the chapter that he has been following Jade's directive and visiting her, but that was when he was super depressed and right. not taking care of himself, and they were both restive at their situations and right. very um, and down upon themselves. And I wouldn't say he's necessarily following Jade's orders, because while he was going to visit her, I don't think he was doing anything useful. No, he wasn't. He was just <laughs> keeping her company, basically. Yep. Like, yeah. just to the letter and not the spirit of Jade's words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Ketrikan is in a sewing room with Fitz, Rosemary, who we get an introduction to, Yeah. and two ladies who have accompanied her. All the other ladies having uh, given their condolences of, uh, not condolences, their their excuses of their headaches mm-hmm. of not being able to attend that day with apologies. Um, and she is very morose and not doing much. Right. And she's oblivious to the fact that these an headaches <laughs> are <laughs> just a veiled insult. Yeah. Yeah. Little maid Rosemary, seated at her feet, giggled into her hands. Ugh. Do you think Rosemary is a spy right now? Yes. Really? Yep. Okay. 100%. Interesting. Okay. Because... You were so quick to that. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there's a point early next chapter where uh, Regal does something, um, and it kind of reflects part of this conversation. Oh, Okay. Because, remember, Rosemary was taught to... Like, she's eight years old. Mm-hmm. That's when Fitz started learning how right. to repeat conversations and stuff like that. And that's basically what she's doing. Yeah. So, that's, yes, yeah. I, I think she's just like, hey, can you listen to exactly the words that they're saying and tell me at the end of every day? It's a little game. <laughs> and that's what they're doing Fair just enough. to get information. Okay. Um, but, yeah, Ketrikin isn't really working on her needlework right now or anything. She is staring out what Fitz thinks to see into the winter storm. Um, but conveniently, the harbor is over in that direction as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is, you know, wishing she can do more. And um, Fitz says, you know, you know, I mean, only in the winter, you know, weather, weather keeps us indoors so much. There's only so much we can do. There's not much that's going on. Right. And Ketrikin's like, that's not the case down at the shipwright's sheds. Her eyes got a strangely hungry look. It's all a bustle there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, good on her for pointing out, like, mm, yeah, maybe women don't have a lot to do during what noble women don't have a lot to do. Uh, but here, I, at least. yeah, here, but, uh, I have eyes and I am looking currently at a very bustling area where there are people at work. Mm-hmm. So Verity walks about there overseeing it all while I sit here with fancy work and prick my fingers and strain my eyes to not in flowers and birds eyes so that when I am finished, it can be set aside with a dozen other pretty works. And one of the ladies who are attending her, um, interrupt and say oh no it's never set aside like you know you're important or whatever right they're trying to curry favor well yeah and also i mean they seem to like her enough if they're still there (laughs) 
and they're putting up with her for the political gains, I would guess. Sure. <laughs> I I don't want to be so sinister to say that they're all awful. Maybe they somewhat admire her. That's true. Um, yeah. Or maybe they're just nice people and it's like, well, no, it's not so bad. But also maybe they're a little bit offended because that's what they do every day. And it's like, no, we're not just setting these aside. They're works of art. <laughs> so I would see how mm, it could go bit. either way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Ketrikin interrupts that and it's like, you know, I would much rather be working on a boat, like actually doing real work, real laborers work here right. to benefit the the country that I am ruling, that I'm supposed to be helping to rule. Um, and, you know, the, the two ladies are like, OK, can we get tea and cakes like do you want do you want some and Ketrikin kind of dismisses them so they walk off to the side so it's basically just fits Ketrikin and Rosemary yeah at this point which is kind of not nice of Ketrikin to talk so down about a an activity that these women that are around her probably enjoy that's exactly what Fitz points out later right and I mean, it like it makes me kind of sad because I get that she doesn't personally enjoy it, but some of these women do, and some of these women probably have never thought that they are capable of. Yeah. And she could be like, hey, ladies, we can do more than this. Let me teach you. Let's start a Taekwondo class or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> We'll start working out. And we'll show those men. Noble ladies can work too. But instead, she's just like, Meh, girls are dumb. <laughs> and that makes me very sad. But I get it because, you know, she's, she's taking like, her anger out on the people that it's easiest to take out on. She's which also like 18 do. or 19. Right. Also <laughs> so. that. She can't be perfect. It's fine. <laughs> I'll live. <laughs> There's only room for one perfect woman in this series, and that's patience. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... She Yes, she says, you know, if you wish them, go get them. I do not hunger or thirst. Instead, I fear I will grow fat as a pengoose sitting at needlework and nibbling and sipping all day. I long to do something of significance. She she makes a kind of clever quip here. She asks Fitz, like, if you weren't, if you didn't feel required to call on me every day, <laughs> would you be sitting in your room doing needlework and stuff? <laughs> and he's like, no, but then I am not the queen in waiting. And she's like, waiting. Ah, I understand well now that part of my title. <laughs> a bitterness I had never heard from her before crept into her voice. And then she goes on a tangent about, you know, the queen, you know, we don't say queen in my land. Mm -hmm. We would say sacrifice and I'd be doing things. You know, all the work here is done by servants and you don't see any of the results. Maybe because it's such a populous place, but, like, we would be doing things. Yeah. I raised barns. Yeah, raised barns, you know, uh, fetch water. Fetch water. <laughs> like, all of these different things, because mm -hmm. she was the sacrifice to help things going. She would work in the kitchen, she would bring in firewood, set up plates. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be really hard. That is a big culture shock, I think. I mean, you go from... You specifically are the person that is meant to do all of this for others. And it's a privilege in your culture to do this. It is something to be proud of. Mm -hmm. And then you move to this new culture where none of that pride is taken and it's all invisible. Yeah. And, <laughs> and everybody looks down on you for having that pride or wanting to be able to enact that. Yeah. 
it would be so hard. And especially because you would feel even more restless than normal Mm -hmm. because you could, there are things you can see that you could be doing and you're not allowed. And I, I do feel for her super unfulfilling life to move to from where she was. Yeah. Um, and she, she specifically mentions three people here who I'm sure were her friends. Mm -hmm. It just, kind of reinforces because i don't think we ever hear those names again Mm-mm. but is jeffron who is the uh the the woman from the mountain kingdom that was with the fool mm. i don't know maybe she appears but like it's that would just be a little connection <laughs> but like that um th- those specific names kira and senek and jeffron um none of those people are here She's yeah. alone. She doesn't have any work to do. She's sitting alone in a room with women who are doing needlework that she doesn't care about. Yeah. She wants to be doing something or, you know, talking to the people, but all the people are invisible and the results just appear around her. Right. And she's just so cooped up and annoyed with everything and just wants to be doing something of substance. Right. Um, and Fitz is like, you know... You can't be doing that here. We only have one queen. Mm-hmm. There are things that only a queen can do. And... Oof. Bad yeah. wording. <laughs> and Ketrikan takes that completely, completely to a logical conclusion, but not the one I think Fitz was talking about. Right. Not not logical to Fitz. <laughs> yeah, not logical um, to Fitz. But to but. every other human being, very... <laughs> I didn't even like the first time I the first couple times I read this. I'm always like surprised at how like she made that jump. Yeah, really. I feel like well, I understand it. I feel like that's probably what she's been hearing. Oh, that's Every, true. She probably has everybody's been like, that. so when's the air coming? And yeah. like, this is you're so important because you have an air. <laughs> and like, I'm sure as a woman who has been asked, when are babies coming? Like. It's annoying. <laughs> you hear it the, the first time it's annoying, but I'm sure as a queen yeah, definitely. in this culture where that's literally one of her main roles, that'd be way worse. <laughs> way, way worse. <laughs> and I want, it mentions here again, Ketrikin's little maid, Rosemary, sat on the floor by the tea table, dreamy-eyed, a sweet cake clasped in her small hands. I suddenly wished I were eight years old again and could join her there. Um, he also has a remark before Ketrikin answers this, that... Uh, Briefly, I looked at the ladies-in-waiting to remember what, who had chosen to attend their queen. Ketrikin, I was coming to see, might not be the easiest of queens to attend upon. <laughs> Fair enough. And Ketrikin taking the there things that only a queen can do takes that as, well, I obviously it's only bearing an heir. I know of what you speak of. Um, it's a duty I do not avoid, for I do not consider it a duty, but a pleasure. I only wish I were that sure that my lord shared my sentiments. Always he was away and about the town on business. I know where he is today, down there, watching his ships arise from planks and timbers. Could I not be with him, with no danger to myself? Surely, if only I can bear his heir, only he can sire it. Why must I be confined here while he immerses himself in the task of protecting our people? That is a task I should be sharing as sacrifice for the six duchies. Yas, queen. (laughs) Snaps for the truth. Yeah, definitely (laughs) It takes two people. Mm-hmm. And so why does he get to do whatever, why does he get to put himself in danger's way and she has to sit doing sewing, like, which I love sewing, but. <laughs> which brings me 
partially back to kind of my sentiments about the six duchies. Mm. Yes, they have women in power. Yes, they are more, I don't know if this is the correct word, but egalitarian about, you know, how that power is distributed. Like people who have the talent can take that position and do what they want. Yeah. But it's also not like a perfectly equal society because a lot of that comes from necessity from how warlike and and Mm -hmm. how many wars are being fought and raids and things like that. Hot is the sword master because she is literally the best swordsman and we need the best people to train our guards to win. People fighting and coming to fight our people every year. (laughs) But it's still not like the queen and the king can do the same things. It's still like the queen must be protected. The king must do the protecting. And she's like rebelling against that because the mountain kingdom is much more like Mm -hmm. we're all here to do the same you thing. Know, the same yeah. thing. If you're capable, you survive. should. It doesn't matter what's between your legs. Just do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. I think it kind of makes me think of how Bingtown is described when it's first founded. Yeah. How the women are allowed to be in charge of things and build their homes, and they're farmers, and they're taking care of land, and doing math, and taking care of the accounting, and um, as time goes on, because it's a peaceful area, the women are put more and more into roles of just looks rather than power. Or managing and, accounts at home. or And whatever. even that's starting to be looked down upon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it does kind of follow how society in the real world has kind of worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, in olden, like way, way olden times, right. women were yeah. also allowed to do more powerful jobs because the world was a harsher place and somewhere a shift happens. And then like women need to be a fragile thing protected and men get to continue to be strong. And so it's interesting that Hobb is able to write these societies at Mm -hmm. different places yeah. and based off of, you know, the environment that they're in, um, they just have different levels of like women to men power level yeah their social development is really Mm -hmm. interesting to watch because you have places like the newly founded cities on the pirate islands in Mm -hmm. live ship you have um thinking back to the origin of the six duchies and the origin of the um of bingtown like you said Mm -hmm. they're all very equal because all that work needs to be done they're Mm -hmm. they're trying to survive yeah Mountain Kingdom was the same way, but they had someone step in, a prophet and a catalyst who changed fundamentally how people are ruled there, which changed their culture. But then the comparison growing up from that egalitarian is like what you said, it's Bingtown slowly like the women and traditionally the women were doing all of the the housework, the managing of the accounts, how Mm -hmm. the trades are done. The men went out and actually traded. And then they're getting more influence from Jamalia and uh, Uh, how those nobles are and how Buckkeep is kind of transitioning to the same thing of, you know, nobles are just becoming more, the noble women are just becoming more accessories. Yeah. Rather than people. Right. And it's really interesting, especially I really want to know more about Jamelia and like the history of that because we we hear some really interesting things 
and I want to know more about that city because I feel like it's gone. It's the most one of the most developed cities that we see ever. Yeah, that's fair. Um, having gone f- probably from you know those primitive everything we just need to survive to mm-hmm. men are taking more so because we're wealthy to women being raised up as the companions to the satrap mm-hmm. and being like they provide actual content and they're supposed to be experts in all their fields Mm -hmm. and then transitioning back into the women are just here for decorations and stuff because of a couple bad leaders yeah so i i just i I don't know i just want more of the world in general but (laughs) yeah a couple things stick out and one of those is the history of jamelia and the the evolution of those societies Mm is super interesting yeah but yeah you're right it's something that it's not as bad as Bingtown <laughs> or Jamalia, Jamalia. Um, but it's definitely a huge shift from what Ketrick is used to. And I'm yeah. glad she's calling it out. I think it's right because mm-hmm. she has a point. Yeah, she does. <laughs> and um, it's it's true. Verity might not, you know, at this point he can respect her kind mm-hmm. of. And stuff, but he doesn't know her at all. Right. And like Jade said, like if they had time, they could maybe grow to love one another and, and stuff, but they're mm-hmm. in the middle of a war. Right. And um, so that probably doesn't help because he has right. to go do these duties. And Ketrickin's not his type. <laughs> is no. What Fitz said. <laughs> right. I think he enjoys her enough. I think yeah. he likes her more than he thought he would. He just doesn't know her. He doesn't know yeah. that she has those passions. Or has the need to, like, that, yeah. hey, can you tell me that you enjoy my presence yeah. and our time together? Like <laughs> Relationships, man. They're hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Fitz is kind of taken aback by how upfront and blunt that response was and closes the shutters to the outside because it's freezing in there mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's a winter storm. Yep. <laughs> and takes that as an excuse to whisper something to Ketrickin. If you think that is the only duty that our queen bears, you are gravely mistaken, my lady. To speak as plainly as you have, you neglect your duties to your ladies, who are here this day only to attend upon you and converse with you. Think. Could they not be doing this same needlework in the coziness of their own chambers, or in the company of Mistress Hasty? You sigh after what you perceive as a more important task, but before you is a task that the king himself cannot do. You are here to do it. Rebuild the court at Buckkeep. Make it a desirable and attractive place to be. Encourage his lord and ladies to vie for his attention. Make them eager to support him in his endeavors. It has been long since there was a congenial queen in this castle. Instead of looking down at a ship that other hands are more capable of building, take up the task you are given and suit yourself to it. He finishes closing up the window, looks at her, and um, says, To my chagrin, she was as chastened as if she were a milkmaid. Tears stood in her pale eyes, and her cheeks were as red as if I had slapped her. I glanced at her ladies who were still taking tea and chatting. Rosemary, unwatched, was taking the opportunity to poke at the tarts carefully to see what was inside them. No one appeared to have noticed anything amiss. But I was learning rapidly how adept court ladies were at dissimulation, and feared speculation as to what the bastard might have said to the queen-in-waiting to bring tears to her eyes. I cursed my clumsiness, and reminded myself that however tall Ketrickin might be, she was not much older than myself and in a foreign place alone. I should not have spoken to her, 
but should instead have presented the problem to Jade and let him manipulate someone into explaining it to her. Then it dawned on me that he had already selected someone to explain <laughs> such things to her. I met her eyes again and ventured a nervous smile. Quickly, she followed my glance to the ladies, and as swiftly returned decorum to her face, my heart surged with pride in her. I like that Fitz, number one, doesn't think lowly of what the queen's duties are. He doesn't think they're any less important than what Verity is out there doing. yeah. But I also like that he turns this into like a mission and you're not looking at this the right way, which is what people do to him all the time, which he needs. Yeah, true. And they are similar enough to where this helps. Uh, But he does. He he says, yeah, sure, the baby thing. But also, like, we're in the middle of a war and we need people to like Verity and they don't right now. And you can do that. The king can't make people like him on his own. That'll just make him look like a jerk. (laughs) Yep. But if you talk him up and are awesome, then all these people are going to start believing in Verity and Verity's causes. And that is your duty. And I think that helps Ketrakin because it does give her a task that is something important and something that she could do. Yeah, exactly. And he makes some good points. As much as, yes, Ketrakin is perfectly able to go down there and learn how to build a ship and help Mm -hmm. out with things. They hired shipbuilders to do this. Yeah, the best of the best shipbuilders. And those shipbuilders cannot come into, like you said, cannot Mm -hmm. step into the castle, into the court, and Mm -hmm. talk to the the ladies of the court and make them believe in what the king is doing. Right. So it it really puts into perspective for her what she needs to do. That just because she's being told her duties are to bear a child doesn't mean that's what's really going on. Yeah. And she probably has never had any practice with, like, court intrigue. She hasn't needed to. (laughs) Yeah. So it's good to remind her that things aren't always as they seem on the surface here to help her keep her guard up, but also help her fit in a little bit more. And I think that's a nice thing that Fitz did for her. Yeah. And uh, she asks what what he suggests, and he replies that, (laughs) I am ashamed at how boldly I've spoke to my queen. I ask for her forgiveness. But also, I suggest that she show these two loyal ladies some special mark of royal favor to reward them for their faithfulness, like bringing in a a minstrel for the private gathering with just those three, Mm -hmm. to reward them and to show the other noble ladies that Ketrakin is going to be a queen. She is yep. going to show special loyalty to people who show loyalty to her yep. and try to garner that power for herself. Um, Ketrakin remarks that's something that Regal would do, and Fitz is like, yeah, yeah, probably. probably. But his is from a place of spite. Yours is going to be a place from rewarding those loyal. And you're not punishing people yeah, who aren't loyal to you. You're not having a private gathering to punish those who are not there. You're having mm-hmm. a private gathering to reward those who were there. Yeah. Which, pretty fine line. <laughs> it's a very fine line. Um, but we all know that Regal is good at this stuff. Yep. So the parallel is completely true. Like, that's, right. it is something that Regal would do. Which... It's something that Shrewd would do. Like, true. It is 
very interesting that Fitz is getting his ideas on what to do based off of what Regal does. Well, I don't know if it's his specific ideas of what he would do. I think that mostly comes from like his training and shade and stuff like that. Right. But I mean, the idea of rewarding people close to you mm. is something he probably picked up from watching Regal. And yeah, it maybe. really goes to show how much attention he is actually paying to Regal. Yeah. And how he is taking that knowledge and would be perfectly capable of using that to his own, you know, benefit if he wanted to. Right. Um, and it just shows that even if he doesn't necessarily love his duty and his job, he's not power hungry. It's just something he knows how to do and he'll help other people use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, Ketchikin's like, and the minstrel? You know, yeah. can you see if he's available or free tonight? Mm-hmm. And Fitz is like, my lady, he's free tonight. You're the queen in waiting. It's yeah. fine. And she kind of sighs and um, then goes to speak to the, the ladies there. And mm-hmm. obviously they're very pleased with one another, um, with, with what they've done. Right. Um, and like, yes, we knew this would pay off. Like, mm-hmm. it's good. Like, she is nice. She is doing the correct thing in the court. Right. It makes sense now. Yeah, exactly. I knew it would come around. <laughs> um, so he says that in that way, he became an advisor. And he mm-hmm. kind of feels bad about tainting her with the scheming of the court mm-hmm. and things like that. But at the same time, if he didn't teach her how to do this, she wouldn't be able to stand on her own later against Shade. Right. Like, so it's, and, she needs to know it. Right, and she wouldn't be able to understand the culture she's in right exactly so it's not necessarily tainting her especially because i think she does it in her own way and she learns how to use court intrigue as a way to bring forward a more loving society that's not quite the word i'm looking for but you know it's like kinder she does it in a kinder way Mm -hmm. Um, but I also want to point out that the ladies that were with her were Lady Hopeful and Lady Modesty. Yes. Fitz kind of reflects on the regal remark, and he's like, yeah, she was right. They were regal's tricks. Um, she works them with higher ideals in kinder ways. Uh, but my intentions were selfish for both of us. Because <laughs> yeah. I wanted her to gather power into her hands and with it bind the throne firmly to verity in the minds of one and all. And I'm sure that's the same mindset that Shade goes through mm-hmm. every single day of his life. Because we always ask, like, why is he so... Yeah. Why does he do this for all, all the time and whatever? It's that same kind of thing. Like, you just have so much faith and and love for this one ruler or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I just want everything to work out, yeah. basically. And I kind of think this is why Shade put fits on this duty yeah because it's really good on the job training for taking over chade's role (laughs) yeah exactly Um, because teaching somebody else is sometimes the best way to learn yourself true um he also um does report to chade Mm -hmm. about you know how that progress is coming along and Chade reports back like these are the ladies that are in Regal's court that are now being nice to Ketrakin uh-huh. who you should avoid that sort of thing so it's kind of going both ways they are still communicating mm-hmm. like that which is good right right <laughs> um but every evening he's still going to patients 
and patient expects him to be there and still treats him like a full-on page and has him do whatever is on her mind that day. Yep. Copying scrolls, practicing the C-pipes, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And he is just lost in the room looking for little hints of Molly the whole time. Mm -hmm. Seeing it at a candle here, her jacket on the back of a chair there, honey cakes, you know, anything like that. And it's... Oh man, it's pretty creepy, but... Yeah, a little. We were inside Fitz's mind, so it doesn't seem that way. <laughs> well, it still kind of seems Well, yeah. Creepy. It's less creepy knowing that, number one, he's not acting on any of these, like... Right. He's not, like, actively stalking her or actually doing anything dangerous, and also he's a teenager, so, like... Yeah. This is the first time he's ever felt... A crush, so of course he's gonna be weird about it. Like we've all been there. <laughs> Maybe not to this extent, <laughs> right? But in some way or another, we were all a little creepy to our first crushes. And uh, he kind of goes through life at Buckkeep like that for a little bit. You know, seeing Ketchikan every day, seeing patients every day, reporting with Chade, making sure that transition and that teaching is going smoothly. Looking for hints of Molly. Yeah. Every day. But on top of that, going to a secret cub, a wolf cub, going to the stables, practicing exercises so he can build the stamina. He's He's got a full schedule he's here. He's a busy he's, boy. He's becoming, you know, he's settling into life for a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and of course, at that time, um, King Shrewd summons him. And he says, sometimes I thought to myself that I would rather be quietly killing for my king than to be so embroiled in all of these secreted secretive schemes but then king shrewd summoned me (laughs) (laughs) to remind him no i actually actually don't like either of these things (laughs) yeah he really doesn't like either of them um but he attends shrewd he hasn't you know cut his hair recently because he (laughs) cut it all off when he was really sick and Mm -hmm. uh, hasn't really grown back really well and Hasn't shaved in a Except little that bit. Awkward so. length. Yep. And then he's like, Oh, I should shave because Bjork keeps getting on me about that. And then he's cutting himself and he's like, Okay, never mind. I'm just gonna leave it. It looks yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> Better than blood. Yeah. <laughs> um and he runs face to face with Regal. Um and they kind of exchange well, Regal insults Fitz. Right. Fitz but- tries, but in the only way it's he more can. just like and, cold yeah. and like not so outward yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> he he replies in the only way he can by being cold and stoic and then <laughs> not moving right um but regal just remarks that he's having seizures or whatever basically yeah basically rubbing in i almost killed you and uh, gave you seizures now forever <laughs> what a jerk but interestingly they lock eyes they're and Fitz refuses to move. Mm-hmm. And Regal steps down first by pretending to flick imaginary dust off of his sleeve and then walks around Fitz and keeps going. I did not step aside for him and he did not jostle me as he once would have. So I think Regal's a little scared of Fitz. Maybe a little bit. He's a little beefy boy now. He's been working out a little. He's eating again. He and also gave a promise to uh, to Shrewd as not well. Not yet. Huh? Not yet. Yeah, he did. Regal did. He apologized. Well, he apologized. That's yeah. not a promise. Well, no. But he apologized, and it was accepted. So I don't think Regal wants to tip his hand quite yet about anything. 
So he kind of has to act like. I don't know. I think Fitz is getting pretty tall and built and is no longer a little boy. That's easy to shove around. And Regal is actually a scaredy cat. That's true. So he's like, "Uh oh, I got to act tough, but I don't want to fight this boy. Yeah, so the the new guardsman at the door, King Shrewd's chambers, and Fitz is remarking like, I need to learn faces and names again because I'm getting too recognizable and I don't know people who are talking about me and who know me. A Um, bacon monger recognized him, which, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, a bacon monger? How can I get that job? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't just get to eat bacon all day. (sighs) Okay, never mind. I don't want that job then. (laughs) Um. But the chambers are shocking to him for some reason. Does he still think he had just a dream in the Mountain Kingdom that one night? I don't know. He'd expected to find the windows ajar to the brisk winter air to find Shrewd up and dressed and alert at the table. But uh, he was in his bedchamber, you know? And it was still, you know, dark and... There's plates and cups around and with a servant moving them around and stuff. And, and the air is musty. Yeah. Like, isn't that the same way that it was in the dream before? <laughs> like, I don't think it was this bad in the dream, but yeah. And also, I mean, that's the middle of the night, not right. after servants have been into clean. You know? True. True. Um, But uh, Fitz is kind of waiting there, waiting for the servant to introduce him like the old servant would have Mm -hmm. and so eventually Fitz just kind of approaches himself and like hey uh, I'm here by the way (laughs) (laughs) and Shrewd opens his eyes and greets him and says I do miss Cheffers with me for so many years and I never had to tell him any more what I wanted done I remember him my lord where is he then a cough took him he caught it in the fall and it never left him it slowly wore him away until he couldn't take a breath without wheezing. I recalled the servant. He had not been a young man, but not so old either. I was surprised to hear of his death. Murdered. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> he was murdered. A cough took him, huh? Hmm. Interesting. And he was replaced by Wallace, servant who doesn't really know King Shrewd's ways, even though he's probably been with him a couple months. He is quote-unquote healing mm-hmm. Shrewd, or trying to. Also, what kind of servant doesn't know the manners of introducing somebody that walks in? And he had to have known who Fitz was. Everybody knows who Fitz is. He looks just like his dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Wallace is here. um, And he's not leaving. And he's not leaving. He's just around. And Fitz asks after the sickness, basically. Mm -hmm. And Shrewd's like, it's annoying. It's not a sickness, really. Just giddiness sort of dizziness that sweeps down upon me if i move swiftly every morning i think it gone but when i try to rise the very stones of buckheap rock under me so i keep to my bed and eat and drink a bit and then rise slowly by midday i am myself i think it has something to do with the winter cold though the healer says it may be from an old sword cut taken when i was not much older than you are now see i bear the scar still though i thought the damage long healed King Shrewd leaned forward in his curtained bed, lifted, lifting with one shaky hand a sheaf of his graying hair from his left temple. I saw the pucker of an old scar and nodded. Now, I think this is... There's two ways to go about this. One is that it's total BS, that 
if we assume that Wallace is the only healer that he's seeing, and mm-hmm. Wallace is like feeding him stuff to make keep him weak and well, whatever. is Wallace the healer, or is there? That's that's the other thing. If an actual other healer got brought in, I could see where that could totally be the case, where he sustained a traumatic brain injury in his youth, and mm-hmm. even though it could be healed, long term damage could have been sustained, and with older age and stress and stress it could be bringing out more symptoms right i i i don't know wallace is definitely feeding him basically poison or slowly weakening king shrewd but also it could definitely be that because a sword injury or I'm, i'm assuming a sword injury um yeah sword cut to the temple is not great either. No, probably not. So, so I don't know. Hmm. Um, I didn't think Wallace was the one healing him. He's the one who uh, gives him healings with like the herbs and the smoke and stuff. Oh, I later. thought another guy came in with like that was like advising and was saying, "I'll do this." I'm pretty sure it's Wallace hmm. because in the dream as well, when Fitz. Slash Shrewd is talking to the fool and saying, like, oh, the healer was in here, whatever. Uh, Fitz is like, Beric? And the fool replies, Beric, I wish he were. No, this Wallace knows oh, nothing that's right. or whatever. Good point. I forgot about that already. Yeah. <laughs> so Fitz assumes that he was brought in for a retelling of the events at jean Pay because he's been kind of ignored, and that's, like, the only thing that's really happened. Right. Um, but Shrewd's like... No, it's done. Verity and I have consulted. I don't think there's much more that you could tell me that I don't know or could guess. Uh, we've spoken at length. I regret some things. But here we are, and here is always the place we must start from, eh? Words <laughs> swelled in my throat, nearly choking me. Regal, I wanted to say to him. Your son who tried to kill me, your bastard grandson, did you speak at length with him also? And was it before or after you put me into his power? But as clearly as if Chade or Verity had spoken to me, I knew suddenly I had no right to question my king, not even to ask if he had given my life over to his youngest son. I clenched my jaws and held my words unuttered. Shrewd met my eyes. And he recognizes the anger and the, you know... Well, yeah, (laughs) Fitz is glaring at him so clenching his jaw a little hard to miss yeah uh so shrewd dismisses wallace very abruptly like hey do whatever you want anywhere else from here (laughs) just go away (laughs) and wallace looked displeased yeah he left the door ajar behind him probably was going to try to eavesdrop but fitz gets up after a, a motion from shrewd and closes it and uh shrewd says fitz chivalry this will not do Sometimes ambitious young men do foolish things. When they are shown the error of their ways, they apologize. I looked up suddenly, wondering if he expected an apology from me. But then he went on. I have been tendered such an apology. I have accepted it. Now we go on. In this, trust me. He said, and he spoke gently, but it was not a request. Least said is soonest mended. Okay. First of all, Shrewd... You don't have any right to accept an apology of Fitz almost dying. Not how that works. We, you don't get to accept it. You weren't the one who 
had to almost die. <laughs> Secondly, this isn't a little oopsie. He tried to murder two people of the royal family and almost succeeded. <laughs> this is, oh, I hate it. I hate it here. <laughs> it makes me so angry reading. Sometimes ambitious men do foolish things. Uh, excuse me, what? <laughs> like... Do... Does Shrewd and Chade know that Galen tried to kill Verity? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I would assume they knew. I don't know if Chade would understand because it involves the skill directly. That's fair. And I don't know... I would assume so as well, but I have, we don't know what Verity would have said. Right. That's fair. We don't know if we're... And maybe Verity didn't say anything. But also, though, Galen did die. So, like, yeah. nobody... Shrewd doesn't think... I know, yeah. That's, mm, that's odd. <laughs> he touched my son while he was killing, and now he's dead. No correlation there. I don't know. That's why I'm wondering, like, if most of that blame was shifted to Galen then, instead of Regal, like, in like, Shrewd's eyes. Oh, so yeah. So he could accept... It's like his mother... Yeah. It's never it's never Regal's fault. It's no, always there's always someone to put blame on. <sighs> um. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh Fitz controls himself and asks why Shrewd summoned him. Mm-hmm. And Shrewd explains the situation in um in the Duchy of Burns. Burns. Burns? Burns? Bernstein Bears? Bernstein? I think it's Burns. I think it's Burns too. Whatever. Duke Brandy of Burns. Brandy. I just... Brandy? <laughs> Brandy or, you know, uh, Brondo, I think, is the uh, um, some sports drink in Idiocracy. <laughs> it's got electrical lights, what plants crave. I don't know. It's but just... also love the idea that this person's parents were like, I want to name him Bronze. But I want to be unique about it. So, Brandy. <laughs> it's, I'm pretty sure it's th- his last name. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm going to say that this is a woman who is like, McKaylee lie. <laughs> well, it's so unique. Well, Braun is strength, so it could have right. just been like, you know. Strengthy. Strengthy. <laughs> but with an IE. <laughs> Um, but in, in Burns, there is someone who they brought into their court there, who was very charismatic, who was a very good fighter, and who is now usurping the loyalty of the men-at-arms there. Um, Shrewd is, is very upset, like, I, why do we even have to deal with this during a war? Honestly, like, um, I've granted the request, but he doesn't really want to take action himself, so we're going to have you do it, basically. Right. Um, once more, you will bear the king's justice fits. A young woman from Seal Bay had come to Ripplekeep to offer herself to Brondi as a warrior. He had been pleased to accept her, for she was both well-muscled and adept, skilled at staves, bows, and blades. She was beautiful as well as strong, small and dark and sleek as a sea otter. She had been a welcome addition to his guard, and soon was a popular figure in his court as well. She had not charm, but that courage and strength of will that draws others to follow. 
Bronny himself had grown fond of her. She enlivened his court and instilled new spirit in his guard. But lately she had begun to fancy herself as a prophetess and soothsayer. She claimed to have been chosen by El, the sea god, for a higher destiny. Her name had been Magia, her parentage unremarkable, but now she renamed herself in a ceremony of fire, wind, and water, and called herself Virago. She ate only meat she had taken herself, and kept in her rooms nothing that she had not either made herself or won by show of arms. Her following was swelling, and included some of the younger nobles, as well as many of the soldiers under her command. To all she preached the need to return to El's worship and honor. She espoused the old ways, advocating a rigorous, simple life that glorified what a person could win by her own strength. She saw the raiders and forging as El's punishment for our soft ways, and blamed the farseer line for encouraging that softness. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah I mean, not no. super well placed, but. Um. So she is circumspectly gathering followers for basically treason. Yep. Um. Following old ways like sacrificing a. Mm-hmm. Um. Was it an ox, or is it just a... It's an ox, yeah. Yeah, an ox on the cliffs, and Duke Brondi doesn't want to act to remove her, because even though he knows this is bad, mm-hmm. he would have to make the make his guardsmen choose between him or her. Right, and, and that's dangerous. <laughs> it's very dangerous, because he doesn't know which way that would sway then. Yep. And he doesn't want to lose some of those guards. Um... So, Shrewd and Fitz are discussing this, and Shrewd's like, you know, I have the opinion that her following would probably be probably drop off drastically were she to be bested at arms, or have a severe accident, or become victim to a wasting illness that depleted her strength and beauty. I was forced to agree that was probably so, but observe that there were many cases where folks who died became like gods afterward. Shrewd said, certainly, if the person died honorably. So, Fitz is to go there... And remove her from power dishonorably, however that may be. Yeah. So that's his task. But Trude abruptly changed the topic <laughs> and then says, you know, in Ripplekeep on Seal Bay, there's an old scroll that Verity Wish copied. You know, listing from all those from Burns who had served the king, served the king in the scaleless code, remembers. And there is also a relic from the Elderling times, from the days of Elderling defense of that city. Mm-hmm. Shrewd wished me to leave on the morrow to go to Seal Bay, copy the scrolls, and to view the relic, and bring him a report of it. I would also convey to Brondi the king's best wishes and his certainty that the duke's unease would soon be put to rest. I understood. I love how circumspect Shrewd is about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it just brings me joy as a reader, even safe in his own rooms or whatever. He's just like, you know... She probably wouldn't have a following if this happened, or this happened, or this happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, but uh, in this place that we're talking about, I want you to go there and copy the scroll yeah. and do this. Like, <laughs> There's actual tasks to be done, but on the side, yep. we'll get rid of a problem. Exactly. Um, it's a it's an interesting problem. Like I I enjoy this chapter for this this hmm. like second part of this chapter. I yeah. don't know. It's interesting to me because we don't see it very often and mm-hmm. Fitz dislikes this part of his job. That's fair. <laughs> it's interesting to see him like talk it in out in the role. Yeah. yeah. And 
it's nice to get to see Shrewd still as Shrewd. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. a little bit himself. He probably thought of this plan himself. He also is doing something for an outer duchy, mm-hmm. which is nice. Well, I mean, he also has dusty, to. But yeah. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. But he kind of has to, though, because they're the ones who are getting attacked and it'd be a little rude to be like, sucks, suck. It's also his job. <laughs> I mean, technically. <laughs> um, and as he stood to leave, Shrewd asks him the customary question, which... Fitz gives a little smile at. Do you feel I am keeping my bargain with you? Sir, I do, I said as I always had. Then see that you keep your end of it as well, he paused, then added as he had never had before. Remember, Fitz chivalry. Any injury done to one of my own is an injury to me. Sir, you would not injure one of my own, would you? Uh, then what about Fitz? How is that not an injury to you? He got an apology out of him. <laughs> That's not the... Oh, he didn't make Regal promise to never kill Fitz again. And even if he did, I wouldn't trust Regal, but still. We don't know that either. <laughs> Fine. He nodded slowly. He had wrung an apology from Regal, and from me, my word that I would not kill his son. He probably believed that he made peace between us. No, he doesn't believe that. No, he, he doesn't. He just sure. knows that Fitz will actually keep his word. Yeah. So. Well, he knows that Fitz is more than capable of just straight up killing him somehow true if he was like vengeful because he was trained as a literal assassin so <laughs> regal isn't as capable except he is but he is in different ways yeah um so he leaves he leaves shrewd's chamber with a new mission um he needs to replenish his poisons and has a bunch of things on his mind that you know he finally kind of crushes that not the hatred against Regal, but like that burning idea. desire yeah. or the idea that he was going to get revenge because he needs to keep his promise to his king. He is a king's man. Mm-hmm. He's doing this for the kingdom. And it makes him feel better as a person. It's for him, not Regal. Yeah. It's a, Fair enough. Take the high ground <laughs> as you roll your <laughs> eyes. I'm just really mad about it, okay? <laughs> uh, and he meets Serene on the stairs. Serene, who has taken over Galen's coterie after August retires um, mm-hmm. and has the skill burned out of him because she's the strongest, the next strongest. And he freezes like he didn't freeze at Regal, at confronting Regal. Mm-hmm. It's that old reflex, he says. And all of Galen's hate for Fitz has transferred to Serene. Right. Which it's worse because Galen's was kind of skilled into him. Serene's is just hatred, like actual yeah. Learned hatred. hatred, yeah. Real bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe Galen skilled that hatred in. Who knows? Fair enough. Who knows? I wouldn't put it past him. But also, I don't think he did. I think he was just he, that culty. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody drank the Kool-Aid. She reminded me too vividly of past abuses and inspired in me a dread that would not yield to logic. I had avoided her since my return, but now her gaze pinned me. Also talks about how she has taken up Galen's aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And how her hands look like claws. And I just think that's an interesting little detail that Fitz skipped about Galen, because now I'm thinking of, like... Well, he did... He didn't specifically describe every part of Galen, right. but, like, he, he literally, bony. like, did not eat. Yeah. Yeah. But I just like the imagery of claws. And... Um, 
their clothes i'm sure are extremely tight tight and form-fitting because it has to be like as plain and minimum as possible Mm -hmm. She also got rid of her femininity. Yeah, her female her femaleness was gone. Which makes sense because he hated females. Yeah. So anything to get rid of that negativity that was put towards her, I guess. Exactly. And she confronts him and says, you know, you did not die in the mountains. No, I did not. Still, she stood there blocking my way. Very quietly, she said, I know what you did. I know what you are. Inside, I was quivering like a rabbit. I told myself it was probably taking every bit of skill strength she had to impose this fear on me. I told myself that it was not my true emotion, but only what her skill suggested I should feel. I forced words from my throat. I, too, know what I am. I am a king's man. You are no kind of man at all, she asserted calmly. She smiled up at me. Someday everyone will know that. Fear feels remarkably like fear, regardless of the source. Eventually, she stepped aside to allow me to pass. I was glad I was leaving the keep for a few days. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think it actually is her skill trying to fear him, or his fear? I feel like it has to be her skill, at least a little, amplifying what he already feels, just because... Like... He... He suffered a lot under Galen, but not under Serene. Serene didn't do any of the anything to him that we know of, really. I mean, she looked down on him and sneered at him or whatever, but yeah. I don't think she was like actively hitting him or anything or telling him to go kill himself. So I don't think it's... But then also he has such a strong wall, I can't imagine she could break it. So maybe it yeah. is a fear. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think he's pretty afraid of himself and just kind of deluding himself that it's all of her skill, mm-hmm. just trying to get himself over that. No. What if? What if this is like a wit thing, and he's feeling her fear towards him because he basically killed Galen and like you know like with we yeah. we saw last chapter um, that sometimes mm-hmm. the wit takes over. Like, with Night Eyes, he just was feeling those emotions and couldn't separate that. And maybe if the emotion is strong enough, like, with Serene to him. Could be. And I mean, obviously he's probably not showing that he's scared, so I'm sure she could do the same. Maybe she's not that scared of him, but maybe it just compounds his own fear added with another person's fear of him because of what happened. Definitely could be. What do you think she's talking about when she's saying, I know what you did, I know what you are? Killed Galen. Murderer. But uh, what about you're no kind of man at all? Bastard. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm answering one of those questions she's from school. (laughs) I think she's either... I don't think they they suspect that he's witted. But I think she's still referring to, like, you're just... Getting strength from Burek, basically. Well, see, that's an interesting take, because she is taking strength from the king. So what does that say about her? Or is it just always different if it's not yourself? It's always different. Come on. I guess. But I'm just saying, I don't think... can't apply logic to this. (laughs) It It doesn't doesn't work that way. (laughs) It doesn't make sense to, like... I don't know. Maybe it's... Whatever. Maybe they don't make sense. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then they, uh, it skips forward a little bit to him getting to Burns, starting this mission. Um, and Fitz says that he met Farago, for she herself was a guest at Ripplekeep while I was there doing my scribe tasks. She was, as Shrewd had described her, a handsome woman, well-muscled, who moved lithe as a little hunting cat. She wore the vitality of her health like a glamour. All eyes followed her when she was in a room. Her chastity challenged every male who followed her. Even I felt myself drawn to her and agonized about my task. Obviously, she she has an incredible sense of presence right. and a charisma to be a natural-born leader. Right. Is it charisma? Or is it, like, skill or wit or some other magic we don't know about? Um, I don't think so. I guess it could be, but like I feel a, like we would get more description about this. That's fair. That's fair. I was going to say, like, maybe it's just untrained and she doesn't even know what she's doing is weird. But. I feel like we would get, like... If it was a wit, um, basically like the opposite of repelling or whatever, like yeah. attracting people to you, it would be more focused on animals and stuff. It's usually not a person to person thing. But it does work person to person because Burek can calm people. Yeah, it just doesn't work as well. I guess. But and I mean, you're already pretty and I don't strong. think she would do animal sacrifices if she was connected that much at the wit either that's fair that's a good point and skill it could be because of fitz's like fleeting ability mm-hmm. he would not recognize it but being also his untrained, walls are up. yeah i guess you wouldn't be able to yeah his his walls were really high and i don't know i i just feel like it's a it's a natural thing or it could be in as of yet unmentioned i don't know that's fair some people are just like that yeah but it like, it kind of surprised me. Like, obviously, she is incredibly beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And, like, very fit and very good with weapons and stuff. Where did she come from? Right? Like, <laughs> all of a sudden, just kind of showed up at, like, this right. Duke's place. Like, hey, I'm really good with swords and stuff. Yeah, like, she wasn't noticed before this. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe she was planted there by Maybe, the like, White Prophet. Maybe. Or maybe she just really lived in the middle of nowhere and was like, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this, Grandpa. That's too damn bad. It's a great meme. Anyway. So, uh, first evening that they're there, <laughs> um, got, you know, she was seated across from me. So Duke Brondi um, seated them near the head of the table across from each other. Yep. And... Uh, he made me feel very welcome indeed, to, even to having his cook prepare a certain spicy meat dish I was fond of. Libraries were at, his dispo- at Fitz's disposal and services of the lesser scribe. His youngest daughter had even extended her shy companionship to me. I was discussing my scroll errand with Celerity, who surprised me with her soft-spoken intelligence. And Celerity, later on, mm-hmm. we know has the wit. Yes. Um, midway through the meal... Virago remarked quite clearly to her dining companion that at one time bastards were drowned at birth. The old ways of El demanded it, she said. I could have ignored the remark had she not leaned across the table to smilingly ask me, 
have you never heard of that custom, bastard? And Fitz in his head is seething because he's like, I was literally planted here as the most obvious bait. I have never been used so clearly in my life. Yep. Like, just so upfront with everything. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But he's prepared. Yeah, he. luckily he came prepared right. to do something because <laughs> otherwise he would just been... Floundering and it yeah, would have been Seated worse. across from someone who was prepared there to attack somebody uh-huh. from the Farseer family, basically. Yeah. And they have like they have a confrontation here they are arguing back and forth and um fitz reminds her that you know of those guest rights that we were talking about before the mm-hmm. the honor of of being a guest of being a companion in arms yeah don't you don't spill blood in the home of someone that you've eaten bread from yeah exactly or salt i guess <laughs> um she has a knife out and plants it really close to the arm of Fitz. Fitz doesn't blink because he was expecting something like that. Mm-hmm. He gets her to admit that she hasn't sworn loyalty to King Shrewd, and mm-hmm. that gets some mutters going, so he realizes that everyone's kind of paying attention and was right. ready for this. Well, she also starts talking crap about his mom. Yeah. And about how, like, what did her family think of her? Which is just gross and ugh. How did your mother's people accept her whoredom? I smiled pleasantly. I suddenly had fewer qualms about my task. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of implies that she's a traitor to the king. Yeah. Circumspectly. And um, that's when the knife comes out. Yep. He's like, I thought, I thought you followed the old ways. You're not supposed to spill blood. And she's like, do you see any blood? <laughs> Which, pretty good comeback, if I do say so myself. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, she admits that she has sworn no loyalty to the soft Farseer king. And folk are, like, listening in, and and he says, So some had come to witness her challenge me at Brondi's table. All of this had been as carefully planned as any battle campaign. Would she know how well I had planned also? Did she suspect the tiny package in my cuff? And then he p- pitches his voice and makes it carry to everybody listening in, mm-hmm. asking them to go to Buckkeep, right. enlist, fight the Red Ship Raiders, who are the common enemy, the ones actually doing damage. Yeah. You know, be be loyal. Don't waste your talents spilling bull's blood down a cliffside by moonlight when that same meat might go to feed everybody else who's been attacked by the Red Ships. Mm-hmm. Um. And here he says, I found myself caught up in my own words, for I believed them. I leaned across the table over Virago's plate and cup to thrust my face close to hers as I asked, Tell me, brave one, have you ever lifted arms against one who is not your own countryman? Against a red ship crew? I thought not. Far easier to insult a host's hospitality or maim a neighbor's son than to kill one who came to kill our own. And when he does that, he tips a little of that uh, tiny package in his cuff into her cup and to her plate. Yep. And then it's revealed that Virago is not a good speaker. Words are not her strong suit, which is the opposite of Fitz. He's really good at talking. Yeah. So. She just spits at him. Yeah. (laughs) She just spits, which is gross. Especially nowadays. Like, ew. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have a worse fear of being spit on now. Um, but this is when Duke Brondi. Well, just, not not before Fitz challenges her. Oh, that's true. The it's, the whole point of this, uh huh, get her riled up and then challenge her as you know she actually spat in his face like. Right. You know, perhaps a week, perhaps a week hence, on the cliffs where you so boldly slew the cow's husband, perhaps I, a scribe, might present more of a challenge than your bovine warrior did. Which was pretty good. And then Duke Brondi jumps in. Yes, Duke Brondi jumps in and says, don't fight here, this is my table, how dare you, as though he has no idea this is going to happen. Right, right. And, you know, they decide, they both say they're fake sorries and... Go about the meal. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the week, he he does his tasks. Yep. He uh, copies the scroll and viewed the elderling relic, which looks like nothing to me so much as a glass vial of very fine fish scales. I think that's elderling skin. Yeah, I think so, too. That's what I was going to say. I don't think it would be uh, actual dragon scale. No. Because no. they're way big. Yep. But... So I wonder if that comes from, like, somebody murdered an elderling and this is what's left, you know? Yeah, I... Uh, Ooh, don't like that thought. <laughs> from the elderling defense of the city, so... Yeah. I, I don't I, imagine they I gave it willingly. Although, it does, like, dragon stuff does heal people. That's so maybe, true. like, elderling scales still hold some healing properties? Maybe. I don't I, know. I don't know. I mean, they they try on Selden and it works later. Like the Duke of Chalced is eating Selden, and he's That's like true. getting better. Ooh, yuck! I don't like that thought. Yeah, because that really makes me feel like the vial is a dead person. Well, obviously it's a dead person, <laughs> but like <laughs> they killed somebody. Ooh, yucky! <laughs> um, Celerity seemed more impressed with me than I was comfortable with. Oh, mm. The other side of the coin was facing the cold animosity in the faces of those who sided with Farago. It was a long week. But he never had to fight the challenge, because before the week was out, uh, Farago's tongue and mouth had broken out in the boils and swords that were legendary punishment for one who lied to arms companions and betrayed spoken oaths. Wonder if Fitz knew that beforehand with his little package, and then specifying a week in the future. Uh-huh. Like, the last day I'm here, hey, when the poison has time to work. Right. But also, do you think that makes them think that she actually had sworn an oath to the king, and she was just lying to everybody about it? Maybe. I don't know. Clever. Yeah. <laughs> but this happened a couple days in, or three days, or four days in, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really specify. But she was not really able to eat and drink and so disfiguring was her affliction that all those close to her forsook her company for fear it spread to them as well right so she was like in a ton of pain because she couldn't go outside yeah um because the pain was that bad well if you like sores on your mouth uh yeah like inside and, and outside yeah. oh i hate that yeah the but wind would be especially ooh. in cold like winter yuck yeah so, uh, and no one was willing to stand her challenge for her, um, because right. superstition and... Mm-hmm. These are a superstitious lot. I waited on the cliffs for a challenger who never came. Celerity waited with me, as did it perhaps a score of minor nobles that Duke Brandy had urged to attend me. We made casual talk and drank entirely too much brandy to keep ourselves warm. 
As evening fell, a messenger from the keep came to tell us that Virago had left Ripple Keep, but not to face her challenger. She had ridden away, inland, alone. Celerity clasped her hands together and then astonished me with a hug. We returned chilled but merry to enjoy one more meal at Ripple Keep before my departure for Buckkeep. Brondy sat me at his left hand and Celerity beside me. You know, he observed to me toward the end of the meal, your likeness to your father becomes more remarkable every year. All of the brandy and barons could not have defeated the chill his words sent through me. End of chapter five. Um, first off, I like the little crush that Celerity has, and I think Celerity would be a good match for Fitz. Because they're both witted? They're both witted. She's very intelligent as well. That's and fair. very courageous and strong as it shows later. That's true. That's a um, good point. And she likes him, and I think like he could grow to like like her as well. For a political match, I think that would be the one to If do. he was a real prince, yeah, yeah, that would be a good I mean personally I like Ketrickin and Fitz together she's more. She's already married. Yeah, she's already married though, so she's taken. <laughs> she's about to be a widow though. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I like Celerity. But Jade's words came true. Yep. Duke, Duke of Burns, looking at him like, hey, you look a lot like your father, and, you know, you're acting a lot more like him, too. You know? mm-hmm. Good diplomacy, you're a pretty good leader out here. Resemblance is getting better and better every year. Yeah, which is funny because to me right now, Fitz is like a pimply teenager and like is super awkward looking. He's the protagonist. He has clear skin. That's Yeah, you're right. I forgot. They like, there's magic in that protagonist life. Although it would be very Fitz just to have the only, the only acne yeah. in all of six duchies. <laughs> no, that's not possibly true, but it kind of does feel like how Fitz would feel about the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to see what happens with Brondy, Duke Brondy. Duke Brondy of Burns. Maybe he'll approach him in a dungeon somewhere. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, this is an introduction to a lot of plot points later in this book. Duke Brondy, like we just mentioned, Celerity Mm -hmm. pops up when Fitz asks Shrewd for a hand in marriage, and Shrewd assumes it's Celerity. Yep. And he's very pleased and then gets really mad when he says, like, no, it's just a serving girl. Yeah. Um, wah, wah. Yeah. But uh, we got Rosemary as well popping up here. Mm-hmm. And Fitz, Fitz is really taking control of his life. He's he's actually gotten ahead of it for one of the few times. And I think he's not necessarily loving his job, but he is living life and not being miserable. Yeah. Which is a great thing. Yeah. And it's a good thing to read about. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it is nice to get a break from mopey fits. <laughs> he doesn't like his tasks of, you know, scheming or doing the king's justice in any mm-hmm. way, but he's good at it. That's true. And he wants to be good at stuff. And he's still bonding with... He's still lonely, mm-hmm. but he's definitely bonded with Nida. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> I don't know. Fun chapter. I like yeah. this chapter quite a bit. It's it's a good one. So do you think Fitz is happy this time? I think he's content. If it stayed like if it stayed status quo like this for ever. Ever, he would be okay. He wouldn't necessarily be super happy. Yeah. But I don't think he would 
be miserable. That's fair. I mean, he actually, no. He would eventually be miserable because if it stayed like this forever, he would be separated from Molly forever. So he Yeah, would just but be... he would learn to love Solarity. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Eventually, maybe. <laughs> I think he would still pine for Molly. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, it's a good one. It was. If you have uh, any topics you guys want to talk to us about, please let us know. Uh, visit our website is fits happy to listen to the next episodes or email us at is fits happy at gmail.com follow us on social medias tell your friends about the the series so they can read it and mm-hmm. then point them in our direction so we can talk to them too <laughs> um don't forget to uh, review subscribe follow on any of your favorite podcasting apps can't wait to see what happens next week Okay, so now we get to talk about listener stuff. And also, woot woot, my mic is back to normal. (laughs) Yes, thankfully. Um, I actually have no idea what was wrong with it, but uh, don't need to concern you guys with that. We'll just double check the sound before every episode goes. We record every episode. So Yeah, always fun to record a three hour long episode and realize the sound is really bad. Yeah. So again, sorry for that, but I think it's uh, I think it's better this time. So <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Um. So today we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna start off talking about some emails we got. Um. First, I want to shout out to um Nat. They talked a little bit about. First of all, how we have been wrong. We keep saying that Will is the one who is killing <laughs> Shrewd. Killing Shrewd, yeah. Um, it's not Will. It's Serene and Justin. Yeah, because yeah, because um, Fitz chases them through the halls later or whatever. Yeah. So um, poor Will. Will does do that. <laughs> yeah. Just not to Shrewd. Right. He's just not as bad. Yeah. <laughs> but. So sorry, Will, I mean, for he accidentally... Is, he is, like, the bad, bad He's one. worse. <laughs> but uh, sorry, Will, for misclaiming that you're killing the king. Right. Um, but also, um, they let us know that... Or brought up the point that Galen probably taught them a little bit of how to do what he was doing, mm-hmm. but was also keeping control to make sure they weren't going overboard yeah like that galen has probably been siphoning off shrewd's strength for a while now Mm -hmm. but since his command of the skill is much higher than the other people that he trained because he was trained by an actual skill master Mm -hmm. he was able to you know moderate what he was doing right so when he died (laughs) Yeah, there's nobody to remind people to moderate, and they could be getting greedy, potentially. And so it it causes more of that, you know, um, Shrewd's mind going quicker. Mm -hmm. And they also brought up that um, Shrewd's slow-wasting and wandering mind and severe pain is really similar to... Um, the symptoms of a king's man who has been used too hard and too often, 
which is a really good thing to point out because I've never thought about his symptoms compared to someone who right, yeah. was being affected by the skill or being using too much of the skill, um, which would probably be what this feels like. Mm-hmm. So that was like a really, a really good point out yeah, or thing to point out. And most of the stuff, the drugs that he uses are to dull the pain. So, mm-hmm. um, and one of those things once in a while is elf bark for like when Shade deems that he needs energy to do something like at a function. Right. And it's also helping because it's blocking off skill from other people being able to affect him. Yeah. So on those special yeah. occasions when he takes like an elf bark tea or something, Shrewd is up and he seems to, to do pretty well. Right. And Shade just thinks it's the energy from elf bark, not mm-hmm. the elf bark's ability to block yeah. Justin and Serene draining his skill. Right. Which is sad because if they knew, then they could realize what was going on sooner and help Shrewd. And it's just kind of sad. Yeah. But also, like, taking elf bark constantly really, bad really for you. make you depressed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and they also pointed out that Galen was probably so quick to accuse Fitz of taking Burek's strength because he has been doing this for forever and it's like yeah Yeah. like a cheater in a relationship who assumes because they're cheating you are too Mm -hmm. he assumes there's no way Fitz could be stronger than him so the only possibility is that he's stealing strength from somebody yeah it was awesome thoughts about the whole situation there from a slightly different angle and different details filled in yeah, so it was, was very nice to hear. Yeah. Um, quick, quick mention about uh, Galen again. While we're on that topic, mm-hmm. um, there was a message from Carrie um, about the first book and how it made. Is is it a asking us a question? Is it if it's a inconsistency with Hobbes' writing that a bastard was allowed to train for a skill master mm-hmm. position, um, and if Queen Desire had that much pull right away. Um, and basically it came down to she was established as a Duchess of Pharaoh, very powerful in her own right, and she decided to become the queen. She didn't like, she wasn't forced to or anything or mm-hmm. like love shrewd for it. She decided because that's what she thought would give her more power. So coming from an established court, she brought people over that she knew and she trusted and you know, sycophants and all that sort of stuff. And Galen was one of them. And Shrewd probably didn't know that he was a bastard right away. Right. Or was blinded by his love because it was a, a love marriage, not political. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was able to sneak Galen in there <laughs> and be trained up. Right. But also, um, Chade and Shrewd, once they found out, probably didn't care uh, because of their attitudes that bastards need to be tied and loyal and useful to the crown otherwise they are loose ends or liabilities later on so yeah yeah so moving away from galen talk (laughs) uh i want to talk about shane's message to us shane was talking about how um he thinks verity was snapping on fitz for having a little bit of a tood (laughs) Um, was more related to the fact that he looks like his older brother and is talking like his older brother. And it's just that feeling of 
your older brother talking down to you that really just rubs you the wrong way. And that's why he's able to snap back from it so quickly, just because it wasn't really a malice or a bad place that he's going to. It's just, oh, my brother did that all the time. And now his son is just like him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, and I thought that was a good a good point that is probably is just a familiar sibling thing um, that you get tired of. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the youngest, so I don't know what it's like <laughs> yes yeah, so well we, we've had a couple good um couple good angles on that relationship yeah. now and I, I really like the the speculation because all of them are possible whether it's you know mm-hmm. the nephew trying to assert some authority and then the uncle just trying to like set them back down like no i appreciate you yeah. but like you're still younger than me or if right. it's the reminding him of the older brother there's there's a couple good ones yeah so thank you it's really cool on things like this when you see a lot of different takes um it reminds me why i like reading because we all just can get so much out of the same thing like right. none of us are reading different books it's just our own life experience that colors what we read um but they also agree with luke and said that buckkeep is not built on built on uh, skill stones. Yeah. So it does okay. have it does have a portal stone in the basement, and it Wait. is, I think, described the same way that skill stone is, but it doesn't have that skill set in it. Right. And I concede that it's like a black if, fortress or yeah, something. If it were skill stone of any type, there would probably have been mention of Fitz seeing people. In the castle that weren't there. The memories or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. So moving on to Facebook. uh, Last chapter. Benjamin brought up that. Queen Desire. Couldn't have told Regal because if Regal uh, about Chade, because if she knew everybody would know. Um, So she definitely didn't know. And also brought up the good point that Ketrickin's position in court is made more difficult for her because she's entering during a time without a queen and the last queen in the castle is Desire. So having to live up to Desire would be really hard for Ketrickin and especially the people that Desire has kind of cultivated, the culture she's cultivated in the castle. It's very cutthroat. <laughs> Literally opposite of what Ketrickin is about. Yeah. So it would be a real struggle. Mm-hmm. If she followed uh, Constance, it would be a much different situation. Right. It'd probably be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, I mean, that's definitely a good thought about um, Queen Desire not telling Regal about Jade. And it kind of goes along with my thought that she probably knew Jade when he was at court before his accident. And then when he went off, he remained dead to her even when he came back. Yeah. So that's, I I think that falls in line pretty nicely. But yeah, I, I can't see, I can't see her not telling Regal and Galen about, well, Shrewd has a half brother. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and finally, Irene brought up um, from chapter three that Regal's punishment probably was used more as a way to get him away from the adorable, loving prince 
image that he has cultivated because now he's having to ask people for money for a a cause that he doesn't personally believe in. And so it kind of gave Verity a little bit more roundness to a character, the reading that they did of him. Um, And I appreciate it because, you know, Verity, I, I don't want to believe that Verity is naive or just trying to get rid of a chore that he doesn't like doing. Um, Also probably that, though. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's a little bit fueled by that. And I think it is naive of him not to realize the power he is wielding. Right. But it is a good point that there's more to it than just now you have full control of the castle. It's also now you have the dirty work of asking people for money who don't want to give any money. Nobody likes the tax collector. Nope. (laughs) So there is a little bit more to it than I think either of us were giving credit to. We had some comments on uh, chapter four, part one as well. Um, one first, a shout out to Joel, who is the one who reminded uh, us that the horse with two saddles conversation was about Birik. Um I had finished the recording, thought, wow, that went so well, heard the audio issues, which was another thing to deal with, and then started reading chapter five and realized I was completely incorrect went back and saw Joel had already written something out as well. So <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much for, for mentioning that. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely fun to see you proved incorrect like literally the next chapter because yeah. <laughs> we can actually make corrections quickly instead of, right. you know, I don't know. Yeah, um, And it's also fun whenever we forget details and you guys tell us. It's like, yeah. oh, I can't believe I forgot that. But like, luckily you guys know, so... <laughs> But yeah, definitely two, a man can't wear two saddles um, or have two saddles. And he chose chivalry's ch- saddle instead of patience's. So. Right. Um, and then uh, Antonis commented about how uh, we were talking that patience's reaction to Fitz courting Molly um, could be related to how Beric brought Fitz up. Mm-hmm. basically um and uh, they mentioned that it could also be related to chivalry because he didn't he did have out of marriage relationships too not setting the best example for his son um which yes but again they weren't married when he had that relationship right so just want to make that correction clear again <laughs> make sure everybody Stop knows this where chivalry we stand. slander okay <laughs> Make chivalry perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Just let him be. So, yeah, thank you guys all for reaching out. We enjoy seeing it. We enjoy the new people. We enjoy people who have been writing to us from the beginning. Um, It's really good to hear from you guys and get your opinions. Nice and fun. 